0: Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about rhythms for building resilience so you can take charge of your mental, spiritual, and relational health.
1: These ideas come from Rebecca's best-selling book, Building a Resilient Life, How Adversity Awakens Strength, Hope, and Meaning. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's build resilience together.
0: Welcome back. I'm Rebecca,
1: and I'm Gabe, and it's an exciting week. I know it's your birthday. It is coming up in two I days. Know.
0: Birthday, Mother's Day weekend always is a combo. I love it.
1: I know, and then just this last Saturday, Kennedy graduated from high school. Yes, you it's guys. our third high school graduate. I and know so, it's
0: wild. Yeah, it's, lots it's, happening. It's a fun season. Lots. It is. Lots launching books, brands, kids. podcasts, and kids. <laughs>
1: Well, how's the first week been? You've got this message out into the world on resilience. I know I keep seeing the messages and texts from friends, but also just new people and reviews online. And it just seems so encouraging.
0: It's so encouraging. People are just saying, you know, I'm getting into this and it's really resonating. And that is a a grace, right? Because you just, you hope it does. I mean, it resonated with me and I cried, you know, in some of the stories, but then also just the hope, you know, I really hope that it is a, is a grace of encouragement for people right now, because everyone knows things are hard, so we don't need to continue to repeat the obvious. But what I hope they take from this is that while things are hard, there is something beautiful that's emerging.
1: Yeah. And this idea of resilience, and we're going to talk about it in our next season throughout the summer is... So important to start to wrestle with. You lay out in the book five rules. For those of you listening, you haven't heard it yet or you heard last week's episode where we describe these different rules, there's a quiz you can take that lets you know how resilient are you.
0: Yes. It's 20 questions, three minutes. Really, it does measure out of these five rules where you're dominant, what's most natural and healthy for you, and then out of the other ones, ways to improve. Just some tips that you'll hear back from me immediately on your what you scored and then how to grow, how to grow in these other areas. I know I needed that. I needed some direction on what needed more attention.
1: Yeah, and sometimes we think we're resilient, and this is something our counselors have talked about like as kids were like, Oh, I was resilient, but it doesn't necessarily mean you've dealt with some things, you right. know, you maybe just covered it up. You've come up with new coping mechanisms, but that doesn't always mean you're, you're resilient. And this quiz will help you start to understand maybe where there's some weaknesses in your resilience game. Should right. we say?
0: Yeah. Because we can be resilient for a season with certain coping mechanisms, but eventually those stop working. And I think that's where we are right now as a society. What used to work is no longer working. And so we're getting a little more creative and curious to go back and just try to figure that out.
1: Go to com slash RL quiz and see which one is your weakest rule and maybe which one's your strongest one. Now, as we head into this episode, we're talking as we head into Mother's Day with a mother we love, Laura Wiffler. She wrote a wonderful children's book that deals with helping everybody understand the value of every human being, no matter what their abilities. Her book's called Like Me, Helping Kids Understand and Love Others with Disabilities. She's also the co-founder of Risen Motherhood. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation Rebecca and Laura had as we head into Mother's Day.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Oh, thank you for having me. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. I've respected you from afar with Risen Motherhood and your creative genius of (laughs) writing and art. And um, it's beautiful to kind of see, we were just joking off air about like the serial entrepreneurship Uh of creativity, right? Mm -hmm, Like That's right. When you just have a passion for something, it expresses itself in whatever way God sees fit. So talk to us real quick about Risen Motherhood, how that began, and your role in it. Yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, Risen Motherhood started, goodness, maybe six, seven years ago, and it started out as a podcast. I started it with my sister-in-law, Emily Jensen, and um, we were just talking about what does the gospel have to do with motherhood? You know, we were young moms, and we really wanted to know if I'm a Christian, why does it matter that or why does it impact my motherhood? And so from there, we were like, let's air these conversations. Let's just have... A, a podcast about this, and I was a little nervous, but thankfully the Lord changed my heart, and we got into it. And from there, just the entire ministry of Risen Motherhood really grew. Eventually, yeah. um, we were more than just a podcast. We now have a blog, we have social media, we have free resources for moms, we have a book. So it's just been incredible to see how the Lord has really grown it. Uh, we became a nonprofit about three years ago, yeah. which that awesome.
0: was yeah really now fun. you're you know it's kind of, you're running a company, right? Like a business. And it it is interesting how ministry, I I think for a lot of us that might've just started with a message or a passion or a burden, quite frankly, and um, God will catalyze that in different ways. I think 2020 did that too. Yes. You know, I mean, for me as a writer and one who would travel to teach, all of a sudden we're grounded and we're sent home and new things emerge. Like as doors close others open and Gabe and I now co-host retreats and this podcast like things that we just didn't see yeah, coming. It's and it's so just true. been such a gift. Yeah. Um okay, so I'm so curious about Risen Motherhood though, because I love what you're doing and what you're about and helping women um infuse the gospel in their mm-hmm. everyday and I'm wondering, like, what are the themes that you've heard from women um, that have kind of risen to the top? Pun intended, (laughs) Um, to the top in like kind of these conversations that you feel keep coming back around for mothers. What are those top? kind of pressure points, tensions, mm-hmm. things that they're asking for direction on.
2: Yeah. You know, at Risen Motherhood, every year we do a survey and we have about seven to ten thousand women take it. So we actually yeah. have like real raw data yeah, on this. some pretty high percentage. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'm glad, glad you asked. And um from that, it's really interesting because what we're seeing with moms is that they in general have pretty healthy marriages mm-hmm. and they have um, they're reading their Bible, they're doing their spiritual disciplines. But yet it seems, you know, it was like 97% of moms still struggle with anxiety. Wow. And they still struggle with worrying if they're doing a good enough job. Yeah. And um, like 60% of moms struggle with spiritual doubts. Wow. And you know, I'm not immune to that. I know sure. yeah, that- Yeah, that feels
0: right. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, I do this
2: for a living yes. and yet I still struggle with doubts and I still struggle with worries. And so those are consistent themes of what does it look like to yes, have my spiritual disciplines, but then still applying them to my life. Like it's the same question that Emily and I were asking when we started Risen Motherhood. Which I don't know if this means we're doing a good job or a bad job. No, it's good. <laughs> but it's good. It shows you can't p-
0: really teach what you haven't, what you must learn. Yes, right? like, yes, yes. You have to walk that out personally before you exactly. have something to offer professionally. Exactly.
2: So. so we're just seeing moms really needing that assistance to connect that Sunday morning sermon to the Monday morning toddler tantrum, and what does that look like in the moment?
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um. It's wild too, because I think sometimes those doubts or anxieties creep in because so much of that happens in isolation. And while you're not Isolated because you've got your littles around you, they're not offering emotional support. (laughs) They're not reminding you of what is true all the time. (laughs) No. And and truly, I think that's why this this is such a unique offering that you have, a collective of women that while we might not be in the same living room or on the floor with our toddlers or wherever our kids are at homeschool, Mm -hmm. whatever our role is in that season, there's still a collective sisterhood that is saying like, here's what is true, Mm -hmm. whether the anxieties creep in or the doubts come, like, um, just knowing you're not alone in that role, even though sometimes the isolation I I have found personally, I remember I was home a decade of, you know, diapers, Cheerios and poop and, and, um, Gabe sometimes affectionately calls it the lost decade. (laughs) And I, and I think he it's endearing to me though, because Mm -hmm. I think it also was a, it was a soul searching, uh, decade of like um I had planned to work, my mom had worked my whole mm. but with our firstborn we'll get into special yeah. needs here shortly. Cade was up to eight therapies within wow. 10 months. Wow. Uh, a week and I was just kind of not doing great at work at the same time. Yeah. So eventually the Lord's like you're kind of failing on both ends like just choose mm. in this season and it became a 10 year run of being home full time and I think um so often those anxieties would creep in of going I love this. I feel called to this. Anyone that God's entrusted to us, Mm -hmm. that is our calling, whether it's right here in front of us or outside of the home. But still, there was a sense of lostness in that shifting. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you find that um, as women are kind of entering into this or maybe even easing out Mm -hmm. when the youngest one might go to school or that that season, what are you finding the collective Mm -hmm. community piece is? Like, yeah. are they kind of championing each other inside and outside the home? What are the kind of the perspectives mm. on that? I'm just always so curious.
2: Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think it's interesting because motherhood has so many moments of identity crisis, sure. you know,
0: where you're like, you, you it doesn't s- end when they go to kindergarten, <laughs> I guys. I know. I'm sorry to say <laughs> that it is a consistent. It doesn't even end when you launch them into <laughs> freshman year of college. It does <laughs> not. That's what I hear.
2: Yes. But it's, it's interesting because I think that that is there are all these opportunities for us as mothers to reevaluate what we value and what we care about and where our life is headed and i think that that means that there's this the, these great moments for uh, our friends to preach the gospel sure. to us and yeah. our friends to come in And remind us, like you were saying, your toddlers might not be reminding you what is true, but that's where our friends can come in and help do those things. And you know, definitely, I think the new stage of motherhood is often very isolating, especially if someone becomes a stay-at-home mom. Or even if they work, it can feel like, well, nobody totally understands me here in the workplace. And so finding the local church community, finding a group of women that you can be with, even, I mean... There are beautiful things about the internet. You and I both yeah, know that, for sure. and there yeah. are a lot of hard things. But there are also ways to find community. Things. Yes, yes,
0: absolutely. So
2: that is a, a major piece, and I think that those core friendships are so important to carry with us. Because as we were saying, you know, you're going to hit it when your kids go to school for the first time, and when they're now middle schoolers, and you know, what are we going to do about? Cell Can phones? we talk about puberty
0: as well? Oh <laughs> my goodness, I haven't reached that quite yet with my kids. So, I'm going to need you. Yeah, so your kids, tell everyone your kids' ages. Yeah, they are nine, eight, and five. So when they were four, three, and one, you were like in the thick of it. Yes. And still even at nine, eight, and five, that's a sweet season. I love mm-hmm. like, were they finding their own voice at eight, nine, and ten? Oh, so And sweet. they're so fun and they don't have an attitude yet. Exactly. They're so sweet. attached to like seventh grade. Like, <laughs> it, trust me, you're in a sweet spot. Oh. There will come a puberty moment and you'll be like, it's okay. Hang on. <laughs> they will get through this. I'm, I'm fortunately a lot older than you, I think, because mine are 22, 28, almost 18, and then we adopted and we have a nine-year-old and we've got her when she was five. But I feel like we're in third grade and we're going on first dates and, we're oh my long, and we've are and we got college and we've got... I mean, it's all the seasons. Yeah. And trust me, the older you get, the more dependent you are on God. Mm. It, because you're right. Sometimes there's the identity crisis of um, will they um, developmentally hang with their peers, yeah. right? Yeah. So that was what I faced with, especially with Kate in particular, going... What milestones are we even looking at, and then really having to release a lot of that? But then also with my daughter um, in middle school going, am I is my identity trying to make her in my image? Mm. And man, that was like a whole new lesson that was of stripping and kind of reevaluating, oh, and and then bringing joy home who had no um, mother. I mean, she's abandoned four months, and then in an orphanage for four and a half, five and a half years. So we got her with a stint in a foster home. But going like, do I even have what it takes to develop this kind of attachment after this kind of trauma? I mean, it's obviously the Lord does. That's why He invites us into these Mm. things. I don't have what it takes, but but He does. And so I just I'm so amazed uh, that women. That's why I think motherhood is such a it's such a costly role, yeah, uh, because it's it's all about the giving and the caregiving of someone else, and sometimes very often in isolation and loneliness and you're right like what you're bringing is a tethering of community even beyond the walls of their home. What's been the most rewarding thing for you in all of this? Oh my goodness.
2: Well, specifically in just learning to apply the gospel like what we we're talking about at the beginning, I think I have been amazed by seeing how the Bible offers true hope for moms to not have to live with guilt. Yeah. Cuz we see that so often that you know, we're just perpetually plagued with, am I doing this right? Am I doing enough? Like, just what you're saying with your kids of like, am I making them into my own image? And I think very quickly we can just start to drown in all the ways that we feel like we are not measuring up and we're getting it it wrong. And yet I have found such freedom in knowing the truth of the gospel and saying, okay, I can pick up that guilt and I can look underneath it and ask, is this real guilt? Like, should I feel truly bad about this? Did I sin? Did I do something Mm -hmm. wrong? Or Is this something that I actually have freedom to choose? Totally. And I can make a choice here. And if it's something that you've sinned about, you can just say, okay, Lord. I repent, I ask for forgiveness, and you can walk in freedom. Amen. Don't do it again, just walk in freedom. Yeah. (laughs) But then if it's something that you're like, no, actually, I have freedom, like I don't have to be that kind of mom because that's a cultural interpretation of what a mom should do. Well, then you can say, but do I want to do that? Do I want to have piano lessons for my kids? Do I want to throw incredible birthday parties for my kids? Do I want to, you know, send them to this type of school? Well, Mm -hmm. make the choice. Yeah. And then walk in freedom because you know that God's word doesn't hold a mandate over that. And that to me, is the most incredible thing about being a Christian mom? Yeah. Is that guilt has no power. Or
0: hold over you because Christ died for that and paid for it. Amen. And don't no have condemnation. Have That's for right. Those in Christ. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. And and it's sometimes we confuse condemnation for conviction. Oh, completely. We really uh, think that condemnation is this idea of I'm I'm wrong versus yeah. conviction is just an invitation back into relationship by the Holy Spirit. Like mm. conviction is actually a grace and a love and oh, a gift. It is. It's going. Hey, just making sure you're aware of that yeah. blind spot so that I can enter in and redeem that and restore us into relationship, right. not just with you and me, but You and the person, or whoever the thing is, you and your kids (laughs) that are driving you insane. Yes, Um, but that conviction Mm -hmm. is just so the imitation and and relationship can be repaired. Um, When we talk about this sisterhood and this like tribe, I'm I'm wondering what would um, what are ways in which they are finding like wins, like just Mm -hmm. celebrating like birthright gifts. Because I was thinking when you were just talking about. those birthright gifts that God gave you in the womb don't like evaporate when you become a mother. There's still ways to find those passions emerging in the role of motherhood Mm. versus like, I got to put like the Rebecca bucket over here and now she's just a mom who's tending to them. But what if... What if some of the birthright gifts that God gave me in Psalm 139 are actually used to be utilized in my role of a mother? Whether I chronically overshare and how I (laughs) mentor my daughter this morning, we're having like an hour long conversation about like the deep stuff Mm -hmm. of the heart, but like God just wired me to do that. And so we can really jump into things easily. And sometimes when she was, Thirteen, she'd be like, "Why do you always got to go so deep, mom?" (laughs) But now, as like an almost eighteen-year-old, like I'm finding that we're besties because of that, and I didn't. We don't always have that with our mothers, you know. But what have you found that women are sharing? Are like, I have found ways to find my natural DNA and wiring in the role of a mother. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I I think it is incredible
2: because oftentimes when we're dreaming as as women or as moms about the future or where God's gifted us we might think our dreams are too big for motherhood mm. but indeed they might perhaps be too small wow that we are That's not good. looking at them in a way that God says look at all these other ways you can use your gifts and yeah. that it doesn't have to be this one specific way that you thought was going to happen I'm going to actually use it in all these millions of little ways in Mm -hmm. your life. And some of it, I think, is a a value system for us as moms where we feel like, well, we want the stage. We want the big audience. We want the resume builder. We want the trophy. But really starting to reframe that and say, no, these littles that are in my home, these sweet faces that are looking Mm -hmm. at me every day, like that is Mm -hmm. in fact, more valuable than any trophy I could ever win. And so I think as we start to put on a new mindset of what it looks like to have success and what it looks like to be able to use our gifts in a valuable way, we suddenly find – Just multitudes of opportunities for our gifts to be used, whether that's your creative talents in a birthday party, or it's you know home decorating skills in
0: your own living room, or hosting just friends over, you know. And so there's so many ways, and I and I think that's you're you're onto something here because I think there's a lostness in that decade or that for me when we abdicate. Uh, what God has planted in us as a natural outpouring of our delight in Him. And we sometimes segment and silo motherhood like this is basically changing diapers and napping, uh, nap schedules and Chick-fil-A playdates and target returns. And we've almost, like you said, reduced Mm -hmm. the nurturing um, instead of inviting the nurture into... The joy of what we were always doing right. before kids, yeah. right? Like we haven't changed. Yep. and um, and I was called Becca Book in fourth grade because we didn't have a TV, and it's a longer story. Oh my my parents, my parents were teachers, <laughs> and so they were to make sure I wasn't polluted by television screen. But I read sixty-two Nancy Drew books in fourth grade alone. You go, and girl! So I really wanted to solve mysteries and her and Ned to get together, but it never <laughs> quite happened. Awesome. But what I did learn is that like, I love still to this day, which we're going to get to your book here in a minute. I love reading books to my kids. Me too. And now that I've adopted again, I feel like that's an excuse to go back to bedtime book mm-hmm. reading. And I'm pretty sure with Kate and Joy as our Down syndrome bookends, we're going to be doing tuck-ins indefinitely. <laughs> Let's just say that. And it is still my favorite thing. And Joy mm-hmm. will come to me and she'll say, mommy, books. Aww. And she'll say three books five books like she comes sometimes will come into my bed with a stack because oh, if we're going to go for a while. I'm like, my bed's a little more comfortable yep, for this yep. than yours. <laughs> and our bedrooms are right by each other. So we kind of do the shift right after book time. But it's a joy when we're finding our joy in the way we nurture. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's just so fun. So let's talk about your book, Like Me. Um, I'm so struck by the message. Uh, we have a kindred mm-hmm. burden, yeah. honestly, that God invites us into with having children with disabilities that look different. Mm-hmm. But I always say they have disabilities, but they have abilities that I don't have. And yeah. I look at Kate and Joy, and they do not stress at all like I do. And they do not like freak out about po- political <laughs> Things or cultural. Yeah, there's wars no worries or, usually. Or, yeah. Yeah. They're not too worried about divisions in the church or <laughs> <laughs> who's following who or stalking yeah. who online. Like they have a lot of gifts that I can learn from and grow from. But talk about your your role as a mother with your your child with special needs and kind of really what God has used that her life. Oh, wow. Yeah. How long do we have? Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. So when my daughter, who is five, her name is Eden. Um, when she was two months old, she was diagnosed with rare chromosome disorder, which is just a blanket term for anyone who has a, um, a genetic disorder or a disease um, that for her, it's it's she's actually the only one known in the world with what she has. So she's very, very unique. And at the time, the only
0: one in the world. Isn't that
2: crazy? Are you serious? Yeah, I know. Just take a second. Now
0: that I've got to sit with that. Yeah, That's wild. Yeah. So she
2: just falls under that kind of umbrella of, of rare chromosome disease. Wow. So yeah, and as and far when as they did know, you find this out two months old. So this would have been about five years ago. Oh, so you had no idea in utero? No, I did not. Okay. Yeah, okay. and I, I knew something was up pretty quickly after she was mm-hmm. born because I had had two other children, and so I knew what development kind of looked like. So. My mama gut, you could say, was firing, Mm -hmm. and we got some tests done. And um, in that genetic room, that testing room that we were in, um, they told us, you know, hey, she probably will never walk and she may never talk. And so just be prepared for that. That's what we see with children like her, you know, Mm -hmm. that are kind of similar, but we don't know. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, and you know, Mm -hmm. it's just really hard to get that kind of news. And it set us down a path of, truly discovering what mm-hmm. our daughter would be like, what her capabilities would be, yeah. um, what the things she wouldn't be able to do would be. And um, we've just spent the last five years having her unfold before us mm-hmm. and having to learn how to lay down our expectations for what it might look like for her. Uh, and from that, what I realized is that um, – you know, I saw her interacting with other children with disabilities, whether it's her siblings, my own other children, or with just friends. We have an awesome neighborhood, and so there's tons of kids around. And what I started to realize um, is that a lot of kids, as she would interact with them, they would kind of d- d- withdraw. They would they would with- kind of move back and kind of want to understand her. Like, hey, should I be afraid here? Or should I um, – is it okay? Like, is it safe? Even some of my children have asked, Hey, is our disabilities contagious? You oh, know, wow. that's a genuine question mm-hmm. sure, from a sure. young child who isn't sure what to think about with disabilities. And what I realize is that it just, just takes, saying
0: what everybody is thinking. Exactly. It's, it's Not innocent. It, typically. Adults think it's contagious, but we fear what we don't understand. Exactly. That's exactly right. And what I realized is
2: that kids just needed a little bit of education or help. And very quickly, then they would enter in with all excitement. But mm. what kids are trying to do at that age is they're trying to categorize everything, yeah, the whole world, yeah, right? For sure. And they're like, is this it makes sense? Is this of not. It. Yes. Is this is? Does mom like this? Does mom not like this? You know? Yeah. Do I like this? Do I not like this? And so kids are just making these categories. And what we can do as parents is we can help them see that, like, hey their mind thinks differently than yours, but they still want to be included. They still want to have friends. They still want to have fun. They are still like you. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that is the whole heartbeat behind the book. It's called Like Me, and the whole heartbeat is to just show children sameness with one another and to see that no matter how someone moves or acts or talks, that there's actually a deep transcendent connection that they can have with another person. And you know, obviously you and I know deeply because of the Imago Day, because they right. were made in the image Amen. of God. That's yeah. right there. Um, but also in ways that, you know, are, hey, they love s'mores, or they love to, to go fast in their wheelchair, or they love to um, sing songs, or they love to dance. And so there are a lot of ways that we can help children mm-hmm. understand sameness. And I think when we do that as adults, we show children that like, hey, you can have a friendship with someone who has a disability. You don't have to be nervous or afraid with the interaction.
0: Oh, it's so good. Uh, a story about disability and discovering God's image in every person. And I love what our our mutual friend Trillia said about the book, a delightful book to help our children understand how we are all different and we are also the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the point. Um, my kids were the opposite. So they were Cade was our first, so when they were born, they only knew Cade as Cade. It was like, oh, this is how Cade does things. And it wasn't until we moved from Atlanta to New York that someone made some comment to Pierce on the playground like, your brother is stupid and retarded, and Pierce didn't even – and he has Down syndrome. And it was partly because at this point, Pierce is like in second grade, and he's – all our friends had all grown up together in their toddler years, and everyone's just like – Case just doesn't talk as much, but he's all in and he's, he, you know, he's just a joy. And so they just know him as that's his personality. Yeah. And we weren't trying to avoid the label of Down syndrome, but we were also not making much of it either right. because um, labels are just really, truly whatever diagnosis per se that we all get throughout life is not to ever define who we are. It has nothing to do with identity, but everything to do with just the things that we face, mm-hmm. right? That sometimes are the things that we come up against, yeah. um, which shows just how much stronger um, he has become yeah. as a result of that adversity or what what that resilience might look like. So my kids just think that's the world. But I had to then explain the power of a label and how that can sometimes yeah. really thwart people's view of someone. So in this beautiful book, I love that it's from a sibling's perspective. I I think a kid talking to another kid mm-hmm. who this is being read to or who is reading it is is doing what even the role of our... We start as mothers setting that tone, but when kids begin to set that tone, that's that's real buy-in. Yeah. Um, how have you seen this kind of play out in your own family? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've...
2: I've realized that so much of the education can happen from child to child. you know. And when one kiddo has an understanding of disabilities, that is true and right and biblical. They can pass that on in their own ways, in their own language to other children. And I remember one day we had gone to the pool. We had brought some new friends over that were kind of new to our family. So they were meeting my youngest daughter for the first time. And my youngest daughter the one with disabilities is is she's just jabbering away, you know, shouting and nobody really understands. And we get out and she tries to hold the new friend's hand. Mm. And the new friend kind of um, looks a little bit nervous and she laughs and kind of pulls her hand away and just goes, I don't know what she's saying. And she wasn't trying to be mean. She was just being honest, she's seven years old. And then my seven-year-old daughter, who does not have disabilities, steps in, and she goes, "That's okay. We can tell that she's happy, and she still makes a really good friend."
0: Oh, I know, I know. I know. Did, did, were, did you just sob? Right I then was. In there? I
2: almost <laughs> cheered. You know, I was just like, "Oh, all, happy all tears. these years of yes. teaching, yes. and and so it was like." I wouldn't have said it like that. I'd probably have like some long-winded sermon. Know,
0: right. <laughs> that I would try to say. She's happy and she still makes a really good friend. I mean, and that's I mean, all. you really can't top that. Right. Everyone <laughs> wants a really good friend. Exactly. <laughs> and it was
2: just this sweet moment where I'm like, but that was that was me, hopefully. I don't I'm not gonna take it. It was the Lord, obviously, but Amen. of laying foundations of saying, Hey, baby. All people have inherent dignity because they're made in the image of God. Hey, you know what? Disabilities, they're a result of living in a fallen world. But Christ is redeemed, and now we don't have to be afraid of other people. We don't have to to let that hinder us. Life's not about us because Christ has redeemed all things. And so life's not about you. It's about Him. So how do you show Jesus to others? And now we have the hope of heaven, and we can look ahead to when we'll have new bodies. And training our children in a lot of these truths— are foundational things not just for disabilities, but right. for all of life, right. right? Anytime you interact with a person. And that was a moment where I think I saw just these little nuggets of truth that I had tried to instill in my daughter. And it came out in this simple, beautiful way. Oh, it's
0: stunning. That, yeah.
2: And I was like, that's not how I would say it, but that is exactly
0: what I mean. Well, and what she said um is what we all need to hear. We all need to be reminded of what is the goodness <laughs> that. Every single person brings right (coughs) to focus on the gift and the goodness. I love that verse in Ephesians: "Cling to what is good." Mm -hmm. There's there's so much goodness. The whole thing is good. Even the hard parts are good. Um, We're supposed to be thankful for all those things. Actually, for that's the will of God. So, but there is this beauty of going. Okay, she's really calling out like the beauty and Mm -hmm. and the uniqueness. And I think the Lord has. Anytime the enemy wants me to focus on the trial or the adversity of something, he's rerouting. The Lord is rerouting me to go, no, actually, what is the blessing and the gift of all of these things? Not because I'm in denial and right. I'm like, you know, I just am avoiding pain, but more going, what is, how is this pain becoming purpose mm, For when sure, I, when I let it yes. and I allow it? And I want to just speak to the mamas who are listening in, um, Because you just have sometimes no idea how much your tone, your tenor, your words, your narrative is infused onto your kids. And I was very convicted when I would hear myself out loud complaining or not looking for the good, um, not to shame or condemn, but to the Lord convicted and invited me back into going like... As I'm reading scripture going, you know, my anxiety will play out in my kids. Like there's data that says if a mother is anxious, her kid is seven times more likely to be anxious. That's some of the latest reporting. And so if if moms, if we're anxious, like let's get let's get the help and the support um, emotionally we need outside of our kids. And then also know like what your daughter did is she modeled what she saw you in her ways. Um they're just, they're, they're sponges. Yeah. They're absorbing everything. <laughs> and you're like, oh, they're resilient. Yeah, they are until they're not because <laughs> they are absorbing the good, the bad, the ugly. And this is just an encouragement to go, okay, how are our perspectives trickling down? And by, by doing what you did and listening to her, man, that's their kids are going to model what they see. Yeah. Not what you tell them to do. Yes.
2: Yeah. They're little mirrors.
0: Yeah. They sure are, They're very revealing mirrors. They sure are. (laughs) And as a mom now of 22 years, I'm telling you what, thank God the Lord kind of rerouted me kind of midway to go like, you can talk at at them all day long and tell them how like behavioral therapy of like how to perform for love, but that's not really God's (laughs) God's plan. (laughs) You can actually live, embodied, oh, love that. present, love that. fully healed yeah. through going there. And so just an encouragement for those of you who want to have some resources around this conversation about disability, Like Me is a stunning book. But even further, if you want some tools and resources around just camaraderie and fellowship with other moms that are at home, sometimes head down, like in the thick of it, Just know that God entrusted this to you because He will give you everything you need. And with Risen Motherhood, He also goes before you and He brings people around. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Laura, for being with us. Thank you for saying yes to the invitation of of Risen Motherhood, of writing, and of just embracing even a family with a child with a disability because, honestly, there's a joy and there's a grace in loving Mm -hmm. our kiddos Mm -hmm. well. Amen. Yes. Thank you so much for having
2: me. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, I enjoyed listening to that, you and She's Laura. Wonderful. I know. And heading into Mother's Day, I hope all the husbands out there listening that you're making a plan.
0: Yes, absolutely. Making a plan, taking the quiz.
1: taking the quiz at rebeccalines.com knowing where you can improve and then just be vulnerable with your
0: spouse and tell her that and she'll love you even more yeah and
1: I think as we move into May kids are getting out of school it's a good reminder as we head into summer you're spending time with people and kids who might be different than you you might be at a pool you might be on a trip you might be at the park but just recognizing that all of us as human beings have inerrant value and when we see that in other people we can recognize it, celebrate it and even if they're not like us We can understand that they all matter to God.
0: Yeah, our family loves when there are great children's books, resources about kids with different abilities. And this is a beautiful one that every kid could read. And so we encourage you to grab that as well.
1: So invite your friends, listen to last week's episode. I want to encourage you, go back to last week's episode where we lay out the five rules of resilience. Encourage your friends as they head into this summer, buy this book. It's the perfect book, by the way, for Mother's Day. If you order it today or tomorrow, it'll get there in time. It's a perfect way to help someone build a life of resilience. We hope you guys have a wonderful week.